This is the end Beautiful friend This is the end My only friend The end Of our elaborate plans The end Of everything that stands The end No safety or surprise The end I'll never look into your eyes again What is up, doe? Welcome to another edition of the Picture Roll Show, where we discuss, you know what we discuss, this miserable, Dundee professional basketball team, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is Tuesday, April 12th. A somber mood here in the nation's capital is upon us as the Washington Wizards have been officially eliminated from the playoffs uh, last Friday night. As for the weather... Report uh, just stop raining in the morning. That's all I want. You know, it's it's hard enough to get out of bed when you look outside and you're like, damn, uh, I have to bring the umbrella. It's it's dark enough. Uh, yeah, there's my weather report. With me today to talk about the dismal state of your Washington Wizards is Mr. Rashad Mobley. Rashad, uh, have you recovered from the officialness end of this all and the dagger uh, that we have now officially put in? to this 2015-2016 season. I thought I had recovered, and then thanks to the wonders of Facebook, where they give you a picture that you may have posted a year ago, and the picture that I posted a year ago was a picture of my son holding a giant number one with the Wizards on it, and I I wrote that he was ready for playoff basketball. So, (laughs) it was just, I I have to break it to the little fellow. The playoffs aren't coming through that door, you know. So it's 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 kind of jarring. I think right at the end of I was watching NBA TV, and they listed the eight playoff teams and how they could shuffle between now and the end of the season. And I'm caught in a weird space where I shouldn't be used to the Wizards making the playoff because it's only happened a handful of times in this era. But at the same time, I just it's surreal, and we'll get into it. But it's just surreal that a team. But even Nicholas Batum says it should be a playoff team. It's not a playoff team, and they're, and they're sitting at home. Half the team is resting. The other half is trying to play hard. It's just, it's still surreal. Yeah, so something else we can blame on Facebook memories. You know, like, do you have to really show me the, the photo of the X? Or, or, or right. you know, even, though, even, though, even though I got most of those scrubbed off of Facebook, let's, you know, of all social media. But so, some great memory, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was when I was, at spring break with my family. Now, now I'm sitting here bitching about how I got no vacations planned. Uh, yeah, so thank you, Facebook Zuckerberg, uh, once again. But yes, the Friday night, the Wizards lost to the Detroit Pistons 112-99, to which officially eliminated them. They, they have now won two games since then, a meaningless, game, meaningless games in an appropriate fashion of the season, and they're now 40-41 and with their last game being uh, tomorrow night uh, at home versus the Atlanta Hawks. So they can, I guess, officially go, uh, what, 41-41, and 41, so they can be 500. Uh, they won 46 games uh, two years ago, 44 last year, and will win 40-41. to 41. So look, first, before we, I w- what we want to do for this podcast is not really get so much into what's going to happen in the offseason. 
And, you know, we'll touch on the coaches situation. I know Rashad has broke some news here on the interwebs over the last couple of days that we, we need to uh, discuss. This is another reason I wanted you on. Uh, well, aside from nobody else, uh, nobody else ever responds to me but you. So you're, you're my co-host now. Even though Kyle was on last week, so shout out to Kyle who's not listening. Uh, is Rashad, just your initial reaction to the loss. I know you said you got reminded today, but, you know, Friday night we watched that game. Uh, you, John Wall didn't play. Uh, and so we knew that this, they were behind the eight ball. Also, they needed to win that game and then their final four. Detroit had to lose uh, a bunch of games as well. So it was not going to – the odds were very long, but it wasn't over yet, right? The fat lady had not sung on the season. And what was your feeling just when it was over when they didn't make it? It was just, I was just contrasting the body language of all the Wizards players at the end of this season with what we saw the last two seasons. I think last season, everybody was crestfallen, but there was just feeling like we're, we're right there. We're right there, and everybody was shocked that Pierce missed the shot, but they were encouraged that possibly the new pace and space lineup they had discovered to go along with the defense that they had been playing all year. And then the year before that, it was okay, maybe we can do something, even though Wall and Bill were crying, you know, that you just felt like, you know, we're going through the logical progression of becoming better and better. And this was our first year. And last year was the second year of that. And this year, if you look at the body language and nobody was overly demonstrative, it was almost like a relief, you know, I mean, and I guess that that atmosphere was kind of built with Wall on the bench. You know, he was encouraging everybody on, but just nobody seemed totally pissed and dejected that they didn't make it. it just it looked like everybody was relieved and you know nobody was playing harder than Marquise Morris he actually played well which I thought was funny considering the way this year could go down where the lasting memory is how well Ernie's acquisition played in the game where they lost a bit to go to the playoffs but I just I just noticed how nobody seemed to be upset or anything it was just okay this is the first year where our season is going to end with in the regular season with more games to play it's over. Okay, what's next? And so, you know, it it was. It just seemed surreal, despite Buck and Phil just being all despondent. You know, that's the end of the season. I didn't sense that anybody was really upset. I sensed relief, and I don't know if you saw that watching, but it just when you compare that with the last two years, where there was a real sense of, damn, this is over. I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was more. Wor- I was more focused on myself. Uh, my own feelings. Uh, I, I, I didn't go to a, to a, to a Louis C.K. Louis C.K. show that he played as two surprise shows. Well, he actually played a night before at the co- one of the comedy clubs here in town and then played two uh, early and a late show on Friday night. He announced them the day before, and I, my friend had an extra ticket. And I turned it down, because, and, and, I, and uh, I had some other friends that were going to uh, – Echo stage to see this other band, this DJ band, uh, Big Gigantic, who was really wild. I've seen them as well. I turned them both down so I could sit by myself, <laughs> drinking wine on a Friday night. No one else in my apartment. So I'm going to watch the end of this winter season. And the reason I told my friends later is like, okay, I'm doing a podcast. I'm blogging about this team. I'm a fan of a team. I mean, I have to watch this end. You know, it was like, I need to watch this come to a merciful end. It's like, I need to see this be put out to pasture. I can't be like, oh, I don't really care. I'm just going to check my phone doing something else. Now, in hindsight, I wish I would have done the cooler things than this, right? But I, I, this is how I'm wired, Rashad. I had no other ways that I needed this way to end. I needed to see it. And yes, 
you you were correct in the sense that I didn't really see from the players. You know, they got down early uh, in that game and gave, gave up a tons of threes. Gave up thirty nine points in the first half for God, or first quarter for God's sakes. And and you're right, Marquise Morris was was excellent. Uh, I thought Bradley Beal had a decent game. He kind of faltered late. He he was up and down and. Uh, you know, Ramon session played. Uh, you know, played okay, but they had just read, they had really no answer for Reggie Jackson. We'll go. We'll go back to the into to the game itself because I have a couple other things I want to mention about it before we kill the season. But it was just this season had to come to a merciful end, and it was a sense of relief. I know some people on Twitter. I interacted with fans, and it was like, oh, we don't, you know, we don't want it to end. I mean, we want to make the playoffs, but man, it just it had to end. This was not a fun season. You know, we can sit here and use all these adjectives, but, you know, as much as we wanted them to make the playoffs and, you know, go against Cleveland because you always got a chance, it just, they didn't deserve to make the playoffs. They did not. They, they, they didn't, you know, and it and, sucks to say that, but, I mean, I, didn't, I just don't feel like they deserve to make the playoffs at all. And the teams, Detroit, who hasn't made the playoffs, what, was it six, six seven years they hadn't made it? They deserve to make right. it over them. The Pacers deserve to make it over them. All these teams have played better in, in key games and were better coached. And the players seem to play with more energy, and and that's how I felt. I, I don't know how you felt in that sense. Well, I was, I mean, I was actually optimistic going into the game because I thought, first of all, we had swept Detroit to that point. Number one, number two, when you looked at Detroit's schedule after the Wizards game, it was Miami and Cleveland, and those aren't. I mean, Cleveland didn't really clinch until yesterday. Miami still is jockeying for position. I felt like the Wizards if they beat Detroit, could then beat Charlotte, Brooklyn, Atlanta, who may or may not have anything to play for. So even though the Wizards haven't exactly put together a string of games in a while, the scenario and the planet seem to be aligning if they did what they had been doing, which is beat Detroit, beat Charlotte, beat Brooklyn, and then you're in a game against Atlanta, you could win that. And I think what struck me early is that, well, we'll get into Wall not playing. That was That was number one. But number two... You could just see that they weren't going to stop Jackson, and after a while, it's like okay, they're they're not going to make it. And I guess where I was delusional is I was not thinking. I just wanted the Wizards to get in, not realizing that they have no shot against Cleveland. <laughs> yes. I mean, none at all. They don't. They beat Cleveland in Cleveland, but it just wasn't. They caught Cleveland at a time. It was still under the Blatt era, and they just weren't. Not that they're clicking right now, but they're clicking more now than they were back then. And it's like. You know, it's like when San Antonio beat Golden State that one time. They beat them when they were at their most vulnerable, and you really it doesn't count right now. And I just I had no faith that the Wizards were going to be even contest Cleveland. So plus, in a way, plus he also said that the, there was still an opportunity if they do stink in the playoffs and they play Cleveland close that they would bring everyone back and make no changes. Really, right? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think that. I mean, I, I really think that no matter what. If they got to the second round, then there would be no changes. But I think that, and I'm I'm going to take some liberties here. I I think that Ted knows that there's some changes that need to be made, even if he he's not going to do anything with Ernie. But he can just look at his team, look at the little sniping that was going on in the locker room and the subtle comments by certain players about lack of adjustments, and more importantly, just look at the teams in your division. Look at the kind of coaches who are making moves with Budenholzer and. And uh, Brad Stevens, and just just look Clifford. at the things that are I mean, going on, right? Clifford and, and Vogel. I mean, those coaches are way better than the ones they have, you know. Right. Well, Vogel kind of rose from the dead, but yeah, he's still around. And I think he, I think Ted will look around and say, "Okay, 
I have to make a change. I'm not willing to part with my GM because he got me the guy who, who was the only guy playing in the last game. I'm going to keep him. But so I, I, I think that no matter what, there were changes that were going to be made. I just think that now it, it's going to happen quicker and it's going to be a little more drastic because, I mean, as we'll talk about later, if you have people like Brian Windhorse saying that Whitman needs, needs to go in, just all year, you've been reading Zach Lowe. Everybody's saying, yeah, the Whitman era needs to end. So, you know, I think that was inevitable. But just just going back to that Detroit game, I, I had such high hopes. And then, you know, when you're really into a team and there's just a certain inevitability that's kicking in and you don't even want to watch anymore and you just turn it off. But you turn it off hoping that when you turn it back on, you're wrong. You know, like Jordan Spieth's parents. But then when you turn it back on, they're still losing and they're getting their ass kicked. And then it's like, okay, this this is this is over. That that's how I felt. I, I turned it off, and I was hoping they could make a comeback, and they didn't. So now, I'm fully into let's rebuild it mode. Yeah. Now, yeah, it was more of like relief what I had, and then also the stage of depression of grief, piggybacking on what you said of the last two seasons. You know, the Paul Pierce shot that gets you know that goes in, and it's right after the fingertips, or two years ago against the Pacers in Game Six, where you know. David West just kind of took over in the fourth quarter, but you saw this progression of this team. And Bradley Beal looked like the saddest panda you've ever seen in your life two years ago after the Pacers loss. And then now just the realization that they're not in the playoffs is just, man, I got to watch this basketball. The finals is in June, dude. It's like, it's we're barely in April. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's I like know. two months of just watching basketball. And then we have no draft picks. And that was the part where I was just like, man. This is just going to be a bummer. And see, I know I'm going to go in the stage of anger soon. So I was just really, really depressed. My, the, it started getting darker. I didn't turn the lights on. Uh, you know, I started tweeting stuff out. People start, you know, people I don't even know, strangers are starting to get worried about me. Uh, I'm fine. I did, I did go, you know, went out, went out later and had a, had a, had a good Saturday. But uh, if, what I want to ask you, Rashad, is bef- when was the first time when you look back on the season? Because we're going to have months and months to talk about all the issues of what went wrong. And I don't know how much I want to get too much into that with you. Me and you have discussed this a lot. But it's just, when was the first time you got a sense that this team was not going to make the playoffs? Well, like, when, when did you, do you remember exactly where you were and what, what, what was that moment? Oh, hell yeah. I remember. Well, the, the seeds of doubt, Adam, they were planted when they lost to Minnesota in that double overtime game. Because when... Every, and everybody does a schedule game where you look at the schedule and you make these ridiculous predictions based on what you think should happen. And so I'm looking at, I didn't expect them to beat Atlanta, and they beat Atlanta, and then they lost to Atlanta. And I looked at Minnesota as a win. And I was like, okay, they're going to beat Minnesota, they're going to beat the Lakers, lose to Golden State, but they're going to beat Sacramento. So when they lost to Minnesota, I knew that in order to make the playoffs, they were going to have to win a game that they were supposed to lose. And so that either had to be Golden State or the Clippers. Now, if you look at Golden State's pattern, they they struggle with point guards who are quick and can get in the lane. Um, That's why Oklahoma City is always in the game, at least for three quarters against them. And it's why, you know, John Wall, when they first played, they had no answer for John Wall. And so I was like, okay, maybe they can steal that game, but I'm not expecting it. But I expected them to beat the Clippers but that was that was after they beat Sacramento. So when they lost to the Sacramento, I was like, "That's it, that's it." I mean, I, even though it was back to back right after 
Golden State. I felt like that was the game that they should have won. And then it, it just continued from there. Like, I knew they weren't going to win a game uh, that you previously thought they were going to lose. And, I mean, that that's it. When you're, when you're trying to make the playoffs, there has to be one game where you just pull one out and you dig deep and you do it. And you don't do the opposite and lose to Sacramento and then lose to Minnesota. Um, now, granted, Minnesota beat Golden State, so maybe there's no shame in losing to Minnesota. But Golden State... All they have to worry about is trying to maintain a certain level and trying to hit the record. They're not playing with the same intensity, and they're not clawing for their playoff lives like the Wizards were. So that's when I knew. Um, I had doubt when the Minnesota game, but when they lost to Sacramento and then they lost to the Clippers, that was, that, that was it. See, I, I think mine, the seeds of doubt, the two things that would bring the two seeds of doubt and when I finally had the realization was the Bulls game in Chicago that we've discussed uh, in the February, right? The Bulls had half their team, and the Wizards just... It was like, dude, you got this is the team you're going against, and you didn't show up at all. That was the first seed of doubt. The second seed of doubt was the home game against Indiana on, a, on Polish Heritage Night, game they had to win, that, that, that they would have had the tiebreaker with Indiana and everything. And it was just a game that just, they just didn't pull out. And it was like, this is a game you got to win and pull out. And if you're not going to – this is if you're going to sneak in the playoffs. And you had a hold – Serve. They lose by one point. No questionable foul call, I thought, against Paul George. But it shouldn't even have been in that moment. They missed a ton of free throws once again. So th- that was a game they had to take care of. I know Bradley Beal got injured in that one with his pelvis. But they ha- these are the two games I was like, okay, wow. Like, maybe this team is just not going to find ways to win. These are This team is just not going to find a way to sneak into the 8 or 7 seed. And it really was that first road trip uh, out west. Uh, not so much the Portland game, even though they blew that one in overtime and and should have won that and missed a ton of free throws in that one as well. But it was a Utah game. Utah and Denver, I was just, you know, we, I, I think me and Kyle had this long podcast, and I talked about them in detail that I never published because uh, the technology hates me. But it was the second half of Utah. I'm just watching this team go through the motions and be like, wow, they don't even want to be in the playoffs, dude. <laughs> like, why am I sitting here trying to hope right, this I remember that game. Them, will them to the playoffs? And this Utah team hadn't been playing well, and they just got their asses kicked. I mean, they lose by over 20 points, and then they go to De- the Denver game, and we don't need to really go too much in the Denver game, but, you know, they're beating Denver, and then they fall apart in the fourth quarter, just get absolutely destroyed by Denver's scrub bench players. And, you know, now, of course, in true Wizards fashion, they came back and they win six in a row, but uh, or five in a row after that in t- until they lost to that Hawks game and the T-Wolves games were t- we, you just talked about. But that was the first time it was like, oh, my gosh, like this team really isn't going to find a way to sneak in the playoffs. And then obviously it all accumulated to the losses of Minnesota. Was the, the Minnesota and the, the Kings won were the ones that really, uh, you know, the, the probabilities and everything finally hit home. So, yes, I'm sorry uh, we've started with the suppressing note, but – Hey, I don't know what else to say uh, about this team. But going back to this last game we're going to analyze for the season, because the rest of these are meaningless, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Marquis' performance. He did hit a half quarter I thought was pretty awesome. Uh, what did you see in Beals play in that game? Because I, fe- I felt like the reason the Wizards didn't really have a chance, uh, they had a shot to win this game still in the fourth quarter, and the Pistons got to the free throw line a lot uh, on foul, like legitimate fouls. Uh, Reggie Jackson, uh, I think, made like what eight, eight or eight free throws in the fourth quarter in the final five minutes. And Beal started. You can see where his dribble. He started thinking too much, and 
and made some really messed up plays where I thought kind of decided uh, decided the game. And and, the, and also, once again, I think my critique of that game was the win. I mean, Marquise Morris had what twenty points in the fourth in the third quarter, uh, see, you know, one of the season highs, and and then he didn't have a shot for like a bunch of minutes in the in the in the final stretch. And Beal, I think, tried to do too much. But I don't know what else were really the options. And I also felt uh, Whitman really screwed up once again with uh, staying with Gortat uh, way too long. Uh, whereas you saw Stan Van Gundy, they went to hack a Drummond. He missed two free throws. He, he takes him out for Baines. Doesn't put back Drummond in. Works out for Detroit. But he's leaving Gortat back in. And Gortat made ta- two terrible plays and defensive plays. Uh, and then by the time Nene came back in, that uh, it didn't really matter. And Nene was a really a big spark on the defensive end uh, that led them back on their comeback, especially in the third quarter. Well, I, I think I tweeted this at, at some point at the game. I think what happened was, I mean, let, let's be real. This was the first game all season where they were in, they were down the stretch and they did not have John Wall and you could see it. I mean, they were bailed out by an incredible quarter by Morris. And I mean, I, if you're looking for a point of encouragement, the fact that Morris can score. I mean, yeah, he still shoots the long two too much, and he takes quick shots, but he can get his own shot. He can post up, and he can step out. He is the ultimate stretch four, and I think, you know, with the training camp and at the beginning of the season, assuming he's back next year, I think he's he, that's a point of encouragement, but carried them at their quarter, and in the fourth quarter, they're so used to John Wall. Even if he isn't scoring, they're used to him making everything easy, so all they have to do is stand there and shoot or, or roll to the basket, and all of a sudden, everything was just a little bit harder. I mean, Sessions, God bless him, he can get to the cup, but he's not always looking to assist, and he's definitely not used to performing in crunch time. And so you could just see that Bill was doing too much, and then Gortat really, I'm sure Whitman left them in because he, he wanted all hands on deck, and he wanted what he thought to be his best players without Wall, but it just, those that group of players is not used to being in crunch time without John Wall, and I think it showed, you know, it's, the team is used to not playing without Bill or Nene because it happens every year for long stretches of time, and so they don't miss a beat. But I just think you saw in that game they're not used to playing without Wall, so Bill made horrible decisions. Gortat wasn't getting the ball in those positions where all he has to do is roll to the basket. He was getting him a little outside his comfort zone, and you know Sessions wasn't able to do what he normally does. And so, you know, I don't, I don't blame them for that. I mean, when you're without your star point guard who's getting you damn near close to twenty and ten. It's an adjustment, and for that adjustment to happen in the game, you have to have, I mean, I know they're professionals, but that's just not realistic. Um, I think I really, you know, maybe there's going to be a story written in the next two weeks, but I just think Wall not playing, it's just a little odd. You know, for the past week now, I've been inundated with Kobe toughness stories about, you know, what he played through and what he did, and even though his last bit of fake Iron Man stress got him a torn Achilles, but still... You knew that Kobe was going to be there. You didn't have to worry about it. And I just found it to be odd that in the biggest game of the year, John Wall all of a sudden is hurt. And he's played through, I mean, shit, last year during the playoffs, he had broken bones in his wrist. He played, you know, and he's had a lot of injuries. And for him just not to play, I, I'm i not going to be accusatory here, but I just I thought that was really, really weird that this is the game. You don't even try to suit up. You don't even have your uniform on. You don't come out. And inspire your team. You're in what amounts to sweats and jeans, you know. And it was I peculiar, just, peculiar timing because we hadn't really seen 
this injury from him? I mean, I know that he's he was banged up at the beginning of the year, right? He had an ailment of injuries. But for his knee just to become bruised out of nowhere, and then they said it got drained. I don't know if that was just kind of cover for him. But once again, I'm not going to... I'm not going to uh, accuse or speculate because I have no evidence or backing up. But for a guy, well, Jay Michael did say Jay Michael said that the knee injury that eventually sidelined him, he had been playing through for a couple of weeks, and he had just been playing through it. He made it a couple of times against the Clippers. So I did hear Jay Michael say, I believe this was after the Pistons game that this was not a knee injury that happened all of a sudden. This was a cumulative thing, and finally he just couldn't take it anymore. So, so, you, I mean, so you think he just saw the writing on the wall? But he knew it was mathematically still a chance. And Wall, you know, talked about this being his lost season if they don't make the playoffs. And, you know, it's good for his, you know, personal. I know he's a competitor. But I guess if he just didn't want to play through the pain, it's just bizarre. It was, It is peculiar, bizarre timing that that's where he chose to sit out. Especially when, dude, why do you sit out some of these other games? Why do you sit out a Sixers game, right? Why did he sit out? <laughs> was it just finally he just came to the sense that he couldn't do it anymore? I, again, this is a slippery slope, and I don't want to go off on a bunch of conspiracy theories, but I just, you know, it's funny. Why, why, why do you play against the Suns, dude? Why do you play against the Lakers? That was a week prior, right? I mean, right. I mean, if we can't beat them without John Wall, then they, this team doesn't make the, need to make the playoffs anyway. But now hey. when they have to beat the Pistons, who are way better than those two teams, and this is the team you're trying to – trying to go for, now you're not sitting out, and it's the same injury? I don't know. It's weird, dude. Yeah, it's weird, and, I, you know, I don't Especially this is not his personality, right, at all. We haven't seen this from him at all. I've seen, he's a warrior. That guy will play no matter what. We've only, he's really only had, you know, his injuries his rookie year, and then he had that one injury that cost him uh, the first, first half of the season. But the last, since then, dude, he has missed. I think that was his first, what he hadn't missed a game all year, and he missed just a couple last year, but I think he sat out when they had already had position, right? I don't think he's actually missed games that mattered in a long time. No, he hasn't. And, again, we're kind of dancing around this issue. We have to put our conspiracy hats on. I mean, maybe he was like, okay, I've been giving my all. This this is it. I'm not giving more. Or even if we make the playoffs, we're not going anywhere. We're not going to beat Cleveland. I, I don't know. I mean, again, I don't want to accuse him of anything because this is not like anything we've seen from him. But it just, just the biggest game of the year, and you look at the superstars in this league, how many of them would actually do this? You know, I just, I mean, I think LeBron would do it. But (laughs) how many many would actually do this and not come up in the biggest game of the year? Um, But a John Wall backer could say, Maybe he sat out that game, but if it wasn't for him, they wouldn't have even gotten this far, which also is 100% true. I mean, he has led this team all season. I mean, for better or for worse, he's led this team. So I don't know, but I just think that. Well, how was the conspiracy that he's doing this to get changes to be done? Like, he doesn't want to make the playoffs. I mean, I, I mean, not done with it, but doesn't want to risk his knee for a futile shot. And so, hey, I'm going to shut it down, and then I know if I shut it down, I know for sure we're not going to make it, and maybe there will be changes, but that's also not his personality either. So, It's not, because he, if he wanted change, he could easily, either through the media or through someone who we trust, say, you know, I'm the leader of this team next year. I would like to see A, B, and C. I mean, superstars do that all the time. They say... 
through a trusted source or they are passive-aggressive about it, they say, we need so-and-so on this team, even if it's just, you know, let's say he said, I want Al Horford or I want Harrison Barnes. You could do that in a way that's not evasive, but it's coming off as I'm the superstar on this team and I'm the leader and this is what I want. You know, have, you, have you seen any... I mean, I know that we have, you know, we have IM'd and done some emails to each other privately when, you know, this news of John Wall being shut down came out and we're trying to figure it all out because the injury just kind of came out of nowhere, and especially when we're all geared up for this game in Detroit. I mean, this game in Detroit has been circled on the schedule for a while now, correct? I mean, yeah. this was this was the naked break game, and it was a team they're trying to catch, and they're going against it, and then that, and they'd play into these scrub teams like I mentioned. So... You listen to Sports Talk Radio, Rashad. Now, this is the type of topic I feel like would be a lot of, they take a lot of calls on and be like, what's going on? Why is our star player not going to make it? It's our biggest game to try to make the playoffs. You listen to more than I do, uh, and it's a nice segue into where we're headed for our next topic. Have you heard any of the chatter online? I mean, aside from what we have talked about privately, I haven't heard anyone really mention this or write this, or maybe nobody cares on Sports Talk Radio because I don't listen to it. I haven't heard anything, and in fairness, you say I listen to Sports Talk Radio, I listen to one show, what and it show? just so happens that that one show that I listen to, he takes no calls from fans, because they're idiots. So, I mean, Tony Kornheiser hasn't taken a phone call from fans since, like, you know, 2000. So, That's I haven't true. heard anything, I think that, I definitely haven't heard anything from anybody who covers the team, because you would never hear that kind of thing, uh, but I haven't heard it from... Any other sides? I haven't seen anything on Bullets Forever, or you know, I haven't seen anything. So I mean, even on Bullets Forever, they—I I think Jake wrote something when this this report came out of his knee. He wrote to shut it down. Actually, he he actually wrote to him for John Wall to shut it down before the Pistons game. I mean, that's what ended up happening essentially, but we didn't know that. But I haven't seen anything like. Yeah, you know, what, like what, what, what question is toughness and what is this? You know, whatever all the bull crap that people do, right? Right, or like what that Deadspin article about the Bulls that came out today that was just, you know, very specific. Like, I haven't seen anything like that. Oh, question where, Butler's leadership and stuff? Right, or, you know, like the inner workings of the team that are coming out that led to the, you know, them like not making Hoiberg the Hoiberg and Noah not getting along or something, right? Right, so I haven't seen anything like that. I haven't heard anything, but then again, maybe those are the kind of things that we'll see when somebody inevitably writes the article after Whitman is fired that says what led to the downfall of the team. And I'm sure, I mean, usually Michael Lee would write something like that when he was a little closer to the team. But, you know, we'll wait and see that. But for right now, you have to give Wall the benefit of the doubt and assume that he was injured and assume that he could play and, you know. Well, Michael Lee's moved on to, to greener pastures of, of covering the 72-win Warriors. I'm, I'm sure he'll be uh, there tomorrow for the, for the 73, uh, for them to break the record. I uh, wrote a really good piece about that as well the other day. But, yes, uh, yes. Going, but, but going into the segue of the radio show, talking about the Tony Kornheiser show, you created a buzz uh, on the online world. And I'm the first one uh, to actually ask you about this because if sports talk radio shows were, uh, they, they'd have us on uh, to talk about the teams, even though I guess I haven't requested to be on. But you caused uh, a little mini stir on the online world. I saw you wrote one tweet. I'm just going to read it. For people that are unaware, uh, you wrote it at 3.33, uh, I believe, yesterday, April 11th. And it says, uh, Mr. Rashad Moby, that's a Rashad 20, for those wanting to follow him, uh, with a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, old school. Uh, might even be Lou Alcindor here in this picture. 
Uh, you can comment on that when I'm done. But uh, not shocking, comma, but Brian Windhorst uh, on Tony Kornhauser's show this morning, quote, Randy, Randy's probably 99% getting fired on Thursday morning. So you, you tweet this out. Uh, and before, I, I think I saw last night, there's an article, Bulls Forever picked it up. They wrote a whole article basically based on your tweet. Dude, before I knew it, I got a friend of mine who you do not know, uh, my friend Alan. He goes to games. He's, he's, he's sharing your tweet on Facebook. Not even the article. sharing your tweet talking about how he, he, he can't wait for it to be over. Your tweet is now on uh, uh, Wizards Reddit. Your tweet is now on articles on Bleacher, Bleacher Report. I saw it all over the place. Headlines, you know, the typical aggregating fashion. They're, they're writing all these articles about how ready women, essentially, they're just reporting that ready women's getting fired based on, are you ready? Based on your tweet about a guy, uh, you know, a credible reporter on ESPN, on Kornheiser's show, uh, and just your one tweet about it. Uh, first of all, the, comment on what you heard on the show and just the reaction that, that has happened from this. Because I feel like the reaction is people are just ready uh, for any women to be fired. I get it. Uh, and this was maybe one of the first credible signs that this is going to happen, especially since, they, since they've now been officially eliminated. Uh, Rashad, you're, you're famous. Uh, talk to the people out here. I, I, I feel privileged to, to have you on the Pixel and Roll show now. I'm not. I'm not famous. I'm almost famous. <laughs> Start singing a uh, tiny dancing. But so the picture on my Twitter handle it's it's Kareem shooting over Wes Unsell. Can't forget that part. It ties everything together. Oh. So wow. okay, the reason why this whole thing blew my mind is that I don't listen to the Tony Kornheiser show live because I'm working and people come up to me and they bother me in my office. So I listen on delay. And so the show airs from 10 to 12. On this particular day, I caught it at 3 o'clock. So that news was technically announced in the, between the 10 and 11 o'clock hour yesterday. So I listened to the show, and I, don't, I hear Brian Windhorst say this, and I don't even look, I don't do a search on Twitter to look who else has said it because I don't, I don't give a damn. I just, and I knew, when I heard the news, it wasn't that he said he was going to get fired that was shocking because everybody has been speculating about that. It was how soon. Like, he put a specific time on it. He said, okay, by Thursday morning. And so I just tweeted it out. And when I did, it was relatively innocuous because, as you know, and as everybody at Truth About It knows, I'm the only one on the site who likes Tony Kornheiser. And actually, it's not even just on the site. Most, I say 90% of the people who I talk to the Tony Kornheiser show about basically telling me to go fuck myself. Like they don't, they don't, they don't like him. They think he's out of touch. They think he's cranky. He's a they, Knicks he, fan. He hates the Gilbert Arenas, I mean, the Wizards. He hates Gilbert Arenas. Just early, last week, I think Ben Standig tweeted something about he doesn't think Bradley Beal is a max player and he wouldn't give him any max money. He also and thinks so, John Wall is not a max player. Did he also say that as well? Yeah, he said Wall. He said Wall's not a max player, but he understood why he got max money, but he didn't understand why Beal was being considered. And actually, Brian Windhorst addressed that. So you're a little, sensitive, same, you're a little sensitive about TK. You, you still ride with TK. But you're a little sensitive. I get it. Right, I'm, I write for him because number one, I've been reading him since I was in junior high school, and I think he's you know he's a little curmudgeon now, but still, he has done everything that all of us aspire to do. Like he's been in the locker room, he's written pieces on Rick Barry and covered a lot of different sports. So somewhere in there is still a, a good journalist. The only person 
who supports Tony the way I do is Clinton Yates. So shout out to Clinton Yates going to the undefeated formerly of the Post. He fails me. Everybody else, they make fun of me. So, of course nobody heard this live because nobody listens to Tony. Because that's not really a sports show. It's half sports, half politics, half local traffic, half I went to eat at the Palm. You know, there's not a lot of hardcore sports on there. So, I think when I tweeted it, nobody heard it on there. Even though Brian Windhorst was on there, who's a very credible journalist, nobody heard it. And he didn't just say that. He also said that if you're not going to pay Bradley Beal max money, are you going to go after somebody like a Batum or a Harrison Barnes? And they're also going to um, command max money. So he said a lot of different things, but he said you have to go after somebody if you're not going to give that money to Bill and if you're not going to get Durant. But uh, the Whitman thing was the thing that struck me the most. And the next thing I know, like later on that day, I see the story everywhere. Like I broke the news, you know, and it's like... <laughs> Not only did I not break it, but I tweeted about it six hours after it happened. And I don't understand how it now has from legs. A podcast, and, from a podcast, too. <laughs> you know, we're so, podcasting about you tweeting about a podcast that now becomes the the, 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 the source of the internet, how Randy Whitman is going to get fired on Thursday morning. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, it's not, I, I didn't claim to break news. I didn't claim to be some kind of know-it-all. All I did is transcribe what I heard on the show and... It has some gravitas because of who said it. Now, again, I know that I've thrown shade at Chris Broussard before, and I'm going to do it again here. If it was him who said it, I think that it would have had the opposite effect. Like, I would have been told to delete my tweet and, you know, go shut the hell up. But there's two people who act, well, three people who say something NBA-related, and it gives you pause, and that's David Aldridge, it's Woj, and it's Brian Windhorst. And the fact that he said it, he didn't hesitate. He didn't say, sources say, he said without a shadow of a doubt, it's going to happen Thursday morning, let you know that he's spoken to someone, he's heard things, or he knows that it's going to happen. So, so, so when was your first reaction when this picked up steam? I was like, I, first of all, I was thinking <laughs> nobody listens to Tony. Like, nobody listens to Tony, number one. But number two, I think the fact that it picked up steam, the specificity of it, is what I think struck people. Like, if you ask the ninety-nine percent part and Thursday morning, right? I mean, that's pretty right. Ninety-nine percent part of Thursday morning. That that like Brian Windhorst doesn't speak out of his ass like that. Like he, if he says something, it has to be true. And so, but to I be think fair, that, he's speculating this, right? He's not coming from a source, but maybe he is. No, he's spe- he, he's speculating. But even when somebody like that speculates, it's based on trends. It's based on conversations. It's it's based in fact, even though he's just saying it in such a way that it's just kind of, this is what I think. People like him don't, it's like the other day, or not the other day, earlier when I quoted Tony Kornheiser's show, when David Aldridge was on there, he was speculating as to why Durant, there was no way in hell Durant was going to come here. And one of the first things he mentioned is, you have to have had your practice court in play. It had to have been built already. You needed a state-of-the-art facility. And the Wizards are still trying to figure out how that's going to be built. Now, he didn't cite a source, but this is based on years and years of experience. I'm sure this is based on off-the-record and informal conversations where he's able to make an educated hypothesis, unlike you and I, who just kind of talk out of our ass, and we hope it's true, and when it is, we take all the credit, and when it's not, we just disappear. You know, people like Aldridge and Winhorst, their speculations are based in, you know, journalism and things that they've actually seen. So, again, I mean, we joked around 
Ted, I'm sure Ted is going to fire him on Friday now, despite all of it. <laughs> yeah, <But. laughs> yeah, he's not going to. Well, the Caps play Thursday night, so uh, possibly Friday he'll, he'll fire him, uh, and just to bury the story on, on the, a Friday news dump. Oh no, you got to do it like when Tiger announced he wasn't going to play the Masters. It was Friday at five. That's when you do it. <laughs> do you, do you, uh, I also. Uh, from the, the Brooklyn game was on. So so not only did you get on the interwebs, I was finally on the Comcast post-game show. You know how they show the tweets down below? And I tweeted, Kelly Oubre dunking on dudes in Summer League might be the only thing to look forward to until training camp. And somehow this made the show. <laughs> I don't think they mentioned it. I just saw someone uh, showed a screen grab. So me and you, Rashad, we, you know, we're on this podcast. We're, we're out here. We're out here in this media world. Uh, breaking news, I guess. Uh, not really we're, news. We're, I'm speculating how this is what we all have to look forward to because Kelly Rebe had a couple of nice dunks and we have no picks. And who know? And someone mentioned Ben Standig responds. He goes, "Guess you're skipping skipping free agency." And I responded, uh, "I'm just assuming the worst in free agency." <laughs> well, this is what we've been relegated to. Instead of sitting in hockey seats covering an NBA playoff game from the Wizards, we're now left to transcribing radio shows and thinking of summer league and you know we don't there's, there's nothing tangible to latch on to we don't even have a full roster for next year we have what five players under contract and one player with a player option i mean there's this is this is uncharted waters so also also found that i thought that was was kind of bad it's usually dan steinberg's the one who's transcribing radio shows and making blog posts out of them and causing a stir of what people say on radio Tony Hayes by the way. Yeah, yes. So <laughs> yes. Him and him and him and Dan have a have a weird relationship over the years. You used to call him Cheese Boy back in the day, I know. Oh, uh, he still does. Yeah, but there's still I think Dan Dan actually does actually I know Dan personally, I consider him a friend. I, I, I've talked about Kornheiser. He actually has no he has no ill will towards Kornheiser. <laughs> it's kind of funny. No, it's clearly one sided. <laughs> yeah, it's totally yeah, Steinberg's like whatever man, like I covered cheese a long time ago or whatever. Uh, and he thinks it's kind of funny. But this also shows in their operation, if, if 980 had some type of blogging operation, I, they would have just blogged out your the, these quotes of Winhorse and have been all over the internet, and they would have had uh, the this this lead instead of your tweet embedded uh, all over as as news. So kind of a kind of a weird thing of the aggregation uh, them slipping. So maybe that's just how uh, Tony Kornheiser's show his operation still rolling, right? Well, we can get into that. I don't think the network. I think. Are they, they is like he on nine eighty? What, what show? What channel is he on? Oh yeah, he's on nine eighty. Um, but he, he doesn't I do it in studio. Network, does he do it from his house? Where does he do it? He does it from studio in either Bethesda or Rockville. Okay. But you know, I think there's a love hate relationship with Tony. He gets the highest ratings on the show easily, but it's not strictly a sports show, and he and he doesn't, he's the only show on that station who does not take calls. So. I mean, you know, plus they moved his show. Well, okay, this isn't going to be a Tony Kornheiser podcast here. Yeah, go, go. <laughs> hey, we're on the topic, man. I'm, I'm, this, there's only so many times they allow you to talk this much about Tony Kornheiser, so this is it. Take, get your moment. Get it out. Get, give me, give well, me it all mo- right now. They're, they're moving his show to, I think, 1 or 1 o'clock. Or, anyway, they're moving the time of his show. So, is he been you know, bitching, bitching about that probably? <laughs> no, he won't do that. He, won't do that. he doesn't want to get suspended again. He's not going to say anything about that. Yeah, him and Bill Simmons, they love to get suspended by ESPN. Uh, I, so, Rashad, so 
so do you think this is 99% going to happen? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to happen. Like I said, I think that I think Ted Leonsis knows that a change needs to be made. And I think that he, he's not going to, he's already doubled down on Ernie. Well, I think Ernie is going to come back. And as I've read, I think that he looks at at Ernie as a little more than a GM, just represents some kind of stability. He did make a trade. He basically dug himself out of another hole, made a good trade for a player who has been standing, has been telling us for about three weeks now, Marquise Morris is going to be better. It's going to be better next season than anybody who comes out of the draft, so you really can't be upset about that. I think, to some degree, Telly Leontis has bought in on that, but I also think he knows that a change needs to be made, and he's going to bring a new coach. So I, I think that it doesn't matter whether when it happens, whether it's Thursday morning or before the draft, I think we're going to see a new coach. And then the question is, it's going to it's going to be a referendum on, on Ted Leontis and the future of this team, you know, he and Ernie to a lesser extent, who are they going to pick? Um, and I think we, I've seen Tom Thibodeau. That's the main one I've seen. But, you know, that, that'll that be the next big thing. Who do they pick? Do they pick someone who is going to help them defend better or someone's going to help them run? Do they go like a young Sam Cassell type? You know, there's just a lot of different ways this team can go, but it has to make a change. I don't think anybody thinks that they're going to come back the same coaching staff for next season. You can't have a new a new roster in the same coaching staff. So the, the Wizards did beat Charlotte on Sunday afternoon. It was a noon game. I watched uh, about the second half. It was close uh, here and there. The Wizards just made a crazy run at the end of the game. Uh, and then Bradley Beal got hurt and didn't play uh, in the second half. Uh, they, they won by 113 to 98. And then they went to Brooklyn last night on Monday night. Uh, they won 120 to 111. The thing about the Brooklyn game, they're up 20 to nothing on a hapless Brooklyn team. Uh, this game was like a glorified pickup game. Uh, I don't really have much to say about either of these games. Uh, we're not going to really analyze too much about these meaningless games. Just any thoughts, anything you have to say about those two? <clears throat> Bradley Bill did not play against Brooklyn either. And neither did John Wall did not play, obviously, either. You know, I'm, I'm, as I told you before we did this podcast, I didn't watch the Charlotte game. At all. I had no interest in watching it. And then, uh, I think the Masters was on, too. So, yes. I was watching that Masters. And then... Jordan Speed, Jesus. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I quickly, I can tell a quick story about that. I'm watching the Masters. He goes up by five strokes. He's yes. seven under. Yeah, he like birdied the last four in the front nine, man. It was crazy. Right. And so at this point, I'm thinking, okay, it's about 5 o'clock. I'm going to turn off the TV. I'm going to go play Wolf of Ball with my son. We're going to go have a good time. And then I'm going to be right back in front of the TV at 7 for the Golden State game. And so as I'm literally getting ready, like I'm tying my shoes, I'm doing all this, and then I notice that he bogeys 10. And I'm like, okay, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't go anywhere. And then he bogeys 11. Yeah, yep. So at this point... I'm like, okay, I'm all in. And then he hits it in the water, and I email my friend. And he and he stopped watching, too. And so I kept emailing him. I was like, dude, you need to come back. You need to come back. And then that was it. Like, I didn't I didn't get up at all. And so I was too burned out to watch the first half of Golden State San Antonio. I was like, I, okay, I'll get to it. I'll get to it later. So, And I never even heard of the guy that actually, you know, winning. <laughs> 
I remember him from the U.S. Open briefly, but I, I mean, I can't say that I had a file on him. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't recognize. I, him, I don't think I knew... CBS had much on him aside from he just had a baby. <laughs> they mentioned that like twenty times. Well, they mentioned that, and they were zooming in on dude's phone while he was scrolling through. Yeah, like, like like, FaceTime, like... dude. It was like FaceTime with his girl. It was like, right. You don't know what's going to pop up there, man. You got oh. pictures and shit. You don't know yeah. what's going to happen. It was so bizarre. The thing is, going back to the speed one, is like, okay, he hit it in the water on 12, and I think his caddy told him to do something else, and he didn't do it. But the th- and I was like, oh, wow, this is going to get close. But when he hit the second the second shot in the water, dude, is the one that lost in the tournament, I thought. And then he, he was talking about some drop zone. He should have went here or somewhere else. And I was like, he chunked it, like how I would chunk it, uh, how you know 99% of us would chunk it a shot. And right in the water, and then I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to, like, is he going to hit another one in the water? And then, you know, everyone's on, the, here come the Jordan crying faces, and here come the 10 cup references on the Twitter machine. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then he hits in the bunker, and then he does get up and down out of the bunker. Uh, and then he hit another, then didn't he, bur- he birdied two more after that, which also is amazing, because I would have been done. I would have, you know, bogey, double bogey all the way out, right? And then he just right. missed, well, then, then he missed a, a birdie putt on sixteen, and that was pretty much it. Uh, he's twenty two years old; he's going to bounce back. But wow, how awkward was the Butler cabin uh, uh, presentation? I was like, Jesus. oh yeah, I mean, so he, awkward. De- he deserves credit for getting his head together. But I was telling my dad, I was like, if anybody deserves a Denny Green moment, it's Jordan Spieth. Like right after that, he had the interview with CBS, and then you have to go to the interviews with all the golf media, and then you have to stand there. And you have to put the coat on. It's like every time you heard him interviewed, his voice was cracking. He almost tripped with the jacket. I mean, he just was he was oh. a wreck. But oh, his face was zoned out too. It reminded me of that Steve, uh, that Christie when he was at the Donald Trump a uh, couple couple weeks ago when they zoomed in on his face and just looked like he didn't want to be there. I was like, wow, it totally reminded me of that. Or Bill Murray at the title game. Yes, it's the Bill same Murray look, too. Like, just, yes, just spaced out. But so anyway. I didn't really watch the Brooklyn game, but I did notice it was nice to see Kelly Oubre, Oubre playing without thinking. And I think that there was a stretch at the end of December, beginning of January, that he was just playing without thinking. Yeah, he was still making mistakes and taking stupid, stupid shots, but he was defending like his life depended on it, and he was playing within the flow of the offense. You notice that the more he played, the less quick shots he took, the more he was taking uh, shots within the floor of the offense. He was running the floor. And so it was nice to see that Kelly Oubre back. Um, you know, that's, he's not doing it against any competition right now, but it's just nice to see him play carefree. Uh, so that's the only thing I could take out well, of. I, I like, I like, uh, and I know I talk about his dunks, but I like that he like, gets the ball around the hoop and he like goes up and dunks it. You know, unlike our seven foot center, uh, Marchand Gortat, who fades away. Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's definitely, he's decisive. I think that. I mean, again, he hasn't played a lot of minutes, so he has a lot more energy. But I know tomorrow night's game, which I will be at, and which will be on ESPN at 8 o'clock, um, I think it'll be interesting. And I don't know whether Atlanta is still jacked for position. They must be, otherwise the game wouldn't be on TV. But I think that Kelly Oubre will be one of the people who I'm watching tomorrow because if Atlanta has something to play for, when Oubre is on the court, he is going to be playing with another level of intensity. So I'll be watching him. Um, but the biggest thing tomorrow, and the reason why I wanted to cover this game, will be the post-game presser. I mean, I know Whitman may not be forthcoming with media, but he's a very self-aware fellow. 
And I mean, I'm not even making fun of him here, but he's had about as tough as a year as you can have, both personally and professionally, to lose basically the person who got you your first head coaching job who you've known for years, and then you lose your brother, and then just the up and down nature of this year. Those are the kind of things that come out when you're given a press conference, which you have a strong inkling could be your last. And so, I mean, I'm not. It's not like a reality TV show type of atmosphere, but I'm just curious how will he react tomorrow and how will the rest of the players react with this being their last official forum to say what they need to say or to do what they need to do. So um, I'll be looking forward to writing about the game because the game itself, you know, I could write the greatest recap in the world. Nobody's going to give a damn. I think tomorrow, the, the intrigue about tomorrow's game from the Wizards' perspective is how does Oubre play and what is the atmosphere from the final buzzer to when they leave tomorrow? Yeah, plus is the last game of the year also it's always usually fan appreciation. They go on the court, they do little, you know, they give do giveaways for fans. So I want to see how that goes. You know, do people get booed? Uh, is there certain elements? You know, how do the fans react of uh, just this disappointing season? You know, what are the personal reactions? And it is kind of you know, you know, I'm in agreement with most people. Uh, you know the sentiment that you know there needs to be a change uh, in this in this organization. I think it, the change is I think greater than what probably what they're going to end up doing. But Ray Women still is a human being, and people have livelihoods. I run into his wife constantly. I mean, I don't have a personal relationship with her, but I'm aware of her. Sometimes she's had a few cocktails to drink, but she's a very nice woman and very nice to me. And you know, his daughter. <laughs> his daughter, his daughter retweeted my uh, Whitman face post a couple years ago. Uh, so you know there is an element of humanity that of wishing for someone to lose their job, which you know as much as I want to complain about how Randy Whitman is, I can't ask him questions and I get frustrated with his rotations. Uh, you know he does know basketball well, and I don't want, I never want to root for someone to be unemployed or to lose their life. No, I mean right? I don't think is, is that weird? You know because because I get it where everyone's just like fire everyone, get rid of it. And maybe it, maybe the difference of us from you know not being like a media like Chris Miller and Jay Michael, where you're with these guys every day and you travel with them, but also not just being some guy on Twitter. Like we actually communicate. We actually. See them. You you know, you talk to the players. Uh, you know, as we write our stories, which I think gives us a different perspective um, than other people. I do think that somehow, sometimes these other uh, media members, um, they are either protecting themselves or they are maybe too close to the action. But we're also, you know, we're independent media, so we're not really tied to advertisers or to Comcast or you know the Wizards' own part of Comcast. Or there's. They have bosses in suits where they can just go all in. Uh, you know, they got to go talk to the Wizards PR guys the next day because they're, they're hanging out with them at the hotel. And why did you just say all these mean things about us? Now I got to, you know, do all this extra work. And I'm not saying that that actually happens. Uh, I mean, I know it happens. That, that is not what they're, they're not saying the truth because of those reactions. But those, it, it is an element of uh, covering the basketball team. So I, I wouldn't say I'm happy for him getting fired. I do think that it has to happen, though, you know? Oh, yeah. I think uh, there's a, a gentleman who writes for Bullets Forever, Michael Sykes, who yes. um, tweeted something. He said something to the effect of it's not Whitman's fault that he stayed two years too long. Yes. You know, and so I don't, you know, I don't, he did as good of a job as he can do. Me wanting him to leave is not personal. I just think that they're, 
you know, it's akin to uh, the Tony Dungy, John Gruden situation where with Tampa Bay, Tony Dungy did as much as he could do with that particular team, but he couldn't get them where they needed to be, and John Gruden came in and won a Super Bowl. And so, and then Tony Dungy eventually won his own. I don't think that Randy Whitman can get any more out of this team as it's currently constructed. Now, this team is not going to be the team that's filled it next year, but I just, I don't think that he is, he's not the kind of person who can, who can attract free agents, number one. Number two, I just think that he is not, he's a good coach for a veteran team, and I don't think he's a good coach for where this team is, where they need someone to kind of push them to that other level, the way that Steve Kerr did with Golden State on Mark Jackson's team. So, yeah, I think that I think, I think Mark Jackson's a good example too. Right. You know, they well, serve, a, they serve a, they serve, well, they serve a purpose. They serve a bridge. I mean, he did change the identity. Uh, you, you know, maybe once he gets fired, I'll go back and I'll sing the praises of Randy Woodman. But I want to go into uh, two more points before we go here. A couple more is that. Okay, so they lose to the Kings. Bradley Beal says all those comments after the game. He was frustrated. Uh, and then it became where all of a sudden uh, Bradley Beal, I got a sense in a, the sentiment online, there was an overall sense that we need to trade Bradley Beal. The Wizards need to trade Bradley Beal. And that he somehow was the scapegoat of the season. He can't stay healthy. We don't need to pay him all this money. So let's trade him or get rid of him. I think some some someone, I don't want to mention the website, but Wiz of Oz, uh, I will mention the website. Someone wrote, just let him walk, which I felt was just, just I'm not even going to respond how, uh, how dumb that is. Uh, your thoughts of, do you feel, did you get a sense that, that Bradley Bill was, was becoming the scapegoat of the season after, obviously, Whitman and Grumfeld? And what do you feel uh, about trading him potentially uh, or, you know, extending him? I guess we can talk about his extension later on. But just, I mean, I, that, 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 that is uh, that is a part of this, right? I mean, it's like, I don't want to sign him to all this money because he can't stay healthy. Uh, but yet he still is a 22-year-old guy that has played well in the playoffs when he's played well in the playoffs. And he's he's actually had a good year when he was healthy. Uh, and I don't think letting a young star uh, with potential at 22 years old um, let him go is a benefit for this team personally. But maybe you have a different opinion than I do. No, I agree. And it's funny, I'm reading um, Jonathan Abrams' book, um, uh, from boys to men, or to boys to men, something like that. About the weather, uh, or oh, Kwame, Kwame part. No, no, this is the book he wrote about Garnett and LeBron and Dwight Howard and Kobe, high, high school about, players, right? Right. And so there's a section in there where they're talking about how uh, the Bullets and A. Poland could have drafted could have drafted Garnett, and A. Poland told John Nash that he didn't want to draft a high school player, and they ended up drafting. Rasheed Wallace, who they ended up trading. And so, you know, this team has a history of prematurely trading young talent for reasons that are very legitimate. Like, you traded Weber because he couldn't stay out of trouble. You know, so I can I can understand why you want to trade Bill because you're at a point now where you can trade him and you can get a lot for him because he's every time you see Somebody from the NBA, whether it's Shaq or Barkley or Kenny Smith, they're always talking about how he has a pure stroke and they would love to have him on the team and how well he plays in the playoffs. So he's going to get snatched up. But I don't think Bill is the problem. and I don't think you give away a player who is 22 years old with a history of injuries. 
I saw someone online compare him, his career arc to Eric Gordon. I don't know about that. I, I would look more to Steph Curry, who had his injuries were so serious his first few years that people were questioning whether he was a bust. He couldn't stay on the court. But once he got it together and once he got a little older, he's the player. Who, I mean, nobody expected the player he is now, but he became a consistent contributing player. I just don't think you get rid of Bradley Bill. I think we get a new coach in and here. When did Eric Gordon average over 20 a game in two playoff victories, series victories? I don't think that ever happened either. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so either. Uh, but I, I just don't think you let a 22-year-old player walk because he can't stay on the court in his first few years. I think you, just, you have to bite the bullet. You have to give him a max contract. And maybe you trade... Porter, or you put together, see what you can get for Porter and Gortat. You exhaust all of the options, but you don't trade a 22-year-old player who in the playoffs came up, like, right before the trade uh, the elimination games that the Wizards had been in the past few years, and Bradley Bill came up big in every single one of them. So, he may not, you know, he may get hurt in the regular season, but if he comes up big in the playoffs, I think alone has brought him some time with this franchise, and I think that alone has earned him a max contract. Plus, as Brian Winhorst said on the Unheard 24 hours show, it's not about what the player necessarily is worth. It's about what the market will command or demand, and he's a max player. So if we don't give it to him, someone else will, and if he stays healthy, we're going to be looking simple, and it's going to be another Rasheed Wallace, Chris Webber situation. So... I, I, and that's just my opinion. I don't think you get rid of him. I don't even think you entertain options. I think you give him the max right off the bat and say, we want you back. Come back. And he'll be back. And then, you know, you see what you can do with Porter or Gortat or someone else. But not not the 22-year-old All-Star. No. It should be All-Star. So, yeah, last year at 21 years old in 10 playoff games, he averaged 23.4 points a game, five assists and five rebounds, shot 37 from three. At 20 years old, he averaged 19 points a game and shot 42% from three. It averaged five assists and five rebounds. I don't think – so when the lights were the brightest, he played great. And even this year, his numbers were, were – you know, he obviously still has to improve on free throw shooting. But I don't know who you get to replace him, you know, if, if, if his value – and then the other, the other point is, is that when you – so who do you want to go get? Harrison Barnes and Evan Turner? And go give them the same amount of money? Or Batum? Or Batum? I, I'd rather have Bradley Beal in his age and, and roll the dice with these injuries, especially with uh, you know him already being here in the community and already having a fan base around him, and, and the history of this franchise of giving up on young stars like Weber and like and, and like Rashid, like you mentioned. All right. So the the next point I want to want to make is that and me and Kyle mentioned this on the infamous podcast that is uh, is gone to the ether. I, what percentage of blame? That you have in a season, and I think I'm probably going to talk about this to a lot of people when we when I finally just podcast about the obituary of the season before we move on to you know free agency or wanting Kevin Durant or, or talking about a new coach. Uh, there's four people, uh, four people, four entities made of people uh, of this team. You have the ownership, the front office, the players, and the coaches. For this debacle of a season, disappointing season, not fun at all. How much percentage do you do you put on all those players? Because I don't, I don't, or on those parties, because none of them are blameless. But who do you put on more? Are they all even, twenty five apiece? Do you put more on, you know, one over the other? How how do you see 
uh, how do you assign uh, blame uh, to everyone for this debacle? Ah, uh, that's that's a good question. I don't, I don't know if I want to blame how much I want to put on the front office. Uh, whoever suggested that we go to the patient space, I think deserves blame. I don't know if that came from the front office or what, but I just. I mean, we had Chris Humphrey starting at the four, you know, and then we had Jared Dudley starting at the four when he should have been coming off the bench. That's a front office error right there. So I, I think it, I think it goes 25-25 all around. I think that the players did not – every player after the game said, we can't blame the coaches, it's on us. The, the community, the lack of leadership – I think a little bit goes to them. I think, as Jared Dilley and Bradley Bill said numerous times, the in-game adjustments came slow or did not come at all. I think that goes to the coaching and the coaching staff. But, you know, part of it was, and Ted Leontis would be happy that I'm saying this, but part of it was injuries. I mean, you never got to see Bradley Bill and Anthony Anderson, Anthony Anderson, Alan Anderson <laughs> at, at full strength. Freudian I mean. So a lot of the signings that they made, you never got to see at full strength. And so the margin for error that you had when everybody's healthy and one person goes down never happened because you had three people who were injured or nicked up and you never got to see them. So I think there are a lot of factors that contribute to the Wizards not making the playoffs. And I don't think you can blame anyone. But what you can blame is the the one the, – the things that went on this year that have gone on in years past, that is a problem. And the in-game adjustments, the fact that it seems like at some point during the season, uh, Whitman lost the team a little bit. That always happens during a crucial stretch. But I don't think you can blame the pace and space. You know, you can't blame that. You can blame the way the players reacted and the way they thought that pace and space meant you don't have to focus on defense as much. Um, I think that's that's a, that's a big one. And I... Randy Whitman got criticized for constantly bringing that up as a reason why the Wizards aren't playing well. But, I mean, you watch the game, there'd be some serious defensive lapses that have nothing to do with the coaches. It has to do with a player going the wrong way. Or, as Mike uh, Prada or Prada pointed out, just Bradley Bill not getting back on defense. These are things that only players can control. So, it, you know, I don't think a coach being fired means that only the coach is at fault. But I think we both know that that's the easiest thing to do. That's the easiest thing that, that can affect things. So, yeah, yeah it goes I, all the way around. Yeah, I, I blame the play. I guess the players and the coaches of this. You know, coaches, um, the staff, uh, Randy Whitman's adjustments, his his just bizarre uh, rotations at times, his inability to adjust. It seemed like there was a systematic issue at play, especially on the defensive end the beginning of the season with the three-point defense that was historically awful at times. Uh, the players, you know, taking responsibilities. At some point, you you are, you know, they get up for certain games. They wouldn't. They go, what, a whole quarter without scoring? I mean, that's not the coaches. That's not the front office or the owners. I mean, you're out there. You're the ones that are, you know, making taking terrible shots, not getting back on defense. Uh, terrible rotations. You're talking about pick and roll coverage. We're in game 65, and they're trying to figure out pick and roll coverage. Uh, it, it, that that's on the players. There, I, I I feel like the players and the coaches do share a lot of this blame, but I put a lot on the front office and the ownership. I mean, especially from the fr- the front office, not so much about them 
you know, having a plan, which is to have this, you know, flexibility for this, this free agent class of this summer to go after, obviously, the big fish. But, to, you know, they didn't sign any Abajas of contracts. So, so I'll give them credit for that. But the last three drafts, dude, 2015, we have one player, Kelly Oubre. All right, we traded our second-round pick to move up to get him. We traded, all right, so in 2014, we have no picks at all. 2013, we only have one pick, which is Otto Porter. We traded up two picks to suck Glenn Rice. That didn't work out. So in the last three drafts, we have Otto Porter and, and, and Kelly Rube to show, and Otto Porter is the only one that really would play in the rotation. I just don't see if a team that can't win 50 games that you can just go through three drafts with only having one or two players to show for it and then not, and only have one rotation player, especially when you're, you're a veteran-ish type of team trying to make you know playoff runs. I just don't think that's conducive. Uh, and you're not a team that's all veterans in your league. Okay, we're, we're a couple pieces away from the title, so we're going we're gonna to punt out of drafts. I just don't see that a long-term strategy at all, and I play, I'm playing a lot of blame on the front office. My blame on the ownership would be more of this notion that, uh, that everyone is all happy and we've, we've, we've made this, uh, you know, oh, you know, you know, we won two playoff series. Right. Okay. Great. It's great that we won two playoff series, but it was like that's all that really mattered. We won two first round playoff series. Uh, you know, sixteen teams make it in a thirty-two person league. I mean, yeah, it's great that we, you know, we made the final eight two years in a row. But there was there was times where I felt that they were cheap. Uh, you know, last year, you know, they didn't sign a player for a couple of months. We finally got Will Bynum. They needed extra bodies. A couple of games we didn't have nine or ten, ten players. I felt like we've never used the D-League well at all. Uh, we don't even have our own D-League team. We've been behind the times when it comes to training facilities. We finally get a practice facility in place, which hopefully you know, will be approved by the city council here coming up, which, which I'm in favor of the deal. But where has this been? I mean, you've now owned the team since 2010, and here we are in 2016 talking about a, a, a practice facility coming up in a couple of years. So that's what, eight years of owning a team? Where's this D-League team you've been talking about? You know, and what do I see? I, I see f- press releases about apps, about, oh, we got a new app and the, you know, and the, and the, and the wireless, the wireless sucks inside the arena. I know that has nothing to do with the product on the field, but it feels like there's been an emphasis of let's move to these high roller fans. Let's move these things around. Let's do bells and whistles of virtual reality and all these things, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, spend some money on players, spend some money on scouting, spend some money on a D-League team. You got Miami out there. I read a really good article the other day about Miami spending resources uh, of, of, you know, of, of putting young players in some of their D-Leagues that, that, have, that have blossomed and developed for them. And I just don't see that with this ownership. And, you know, whether or not I've, I don't know if I subscribe or buy into the notion that, uh, you know, he's, that this monumental cares more about, you know, the TV deal or the caps more than they do the Wizards. I don't know. I don't, I don't see the proof of that. I just feel that this, that there has been a lack of resources and attention towards this franchise. And now we're seeing it play out. And when they have a couple injuries or they have a couple hiccups, that there isn't a young stud, there isn't a couple young players that we can trade for to get a, 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 a you know, a, a seven-year vet or an eight-year vet. No, we have to go out and sign a Drew Gooden off the scrap heap. We have to go try to, you know, get a Martellips or Flyer, you know, go after a Ryan Hollins to start a game. 
and you know, or go after a Will Bidem who's making playoffs and making some free throws in a playoff game, which works out for them, but some of them don't work out. And and you look at you know maybe you can maybe you know look at the the contract to Andre Blotch that they end up eating as a mistake. I don't know how much that really affected them uh, too much in the in the bottom line, but it just felt like their mistakes were either too conservative, or they would make these we're going to trade away these picks for the future because we haven't had a systematic approach uh, from a resource standpoint to develop young talent, especially that's what you said you were going to do. You let a Trevor Booker go. You let a, you let a Shelvin Mack go. Sean Livingston you had control over, even though he played terrible the second, the second go around. Uh, you know, individually, maybe I can defend some of these moves, but where was this all these drafting? When you tore it down, you got all these picks. What did you end up with it? And why did you not be able to develop anyone? Why did you know why? You know, where is any of these players? You know, not even Jan Vesely or 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 Chris Singleton or why? Why have you not spent the money to get Sadoransky over here? And that's where I put a lot of uh, pressure and uh, blame upon the ownership um, upon the current situation that they're in. I know you must be pissed because you just threw Chris Singleton in there. He doesn't deserve a mention. He doesn't okay. deserve to be in your rant. He, he, but, he, he, he doesn't? Uh, no, he does not. He, who, I mean, who, who, else, well, who, who else am I missing in draft picks? Jordan Crawford? I should I mention Jordan Crawford? We had six no, first round picks, dude, and we basically have uh, John Wall to show for it in two well, years. This is why I said before whoever he hires is going to be a referendum on Ted because ideally you're going to hire somebody who. Okay, let's say you hire Luke Walton or you, or you hire just someone who's been on a team that has won and have been, been in an organization like Budenholzer came from the Spurs who comes from a culture of winning. You want to hire somebody like that. And I think that if they do, then you're going to see someone who's able to utilize all the things that you said. I mean, they can't control the practice facility, obviously, but they'll know how to groom young players. They won't let Oubre waste away on the bench. They'll know how to go into the second round and scout someone actually worth drafting or trade some trade some assets for draft picks or they'll just know how to be creative instead of doing what reactive Ernie things. does. Don't you think they're reactive? I feel like they've been reactive more than proactive. Oh very much so. And so I think that and it, ca- you know, it catches you, up to them eventually. Uh, and that's why they're in the current state. They're not able to reload like other organizations are. Well I think that's part of it, but again we don't know I mean health was a big deal. We don't know what would have happened if this team were 100% healthy or at least healthier going into the season because maybe all the moves that Ernie made would have paid off, but we just don't know. But it's really too late for that now. There has to be a coach who just has a, is a little more innovative and a little more creative. And I don't want to say younger. I don't want to be ageist here, but it has nothing to do with that. It just needs to be someone who is going to think a little broader and a little different than Randy and his staff did. So... All right, well, let's, you know, let's, well, let's, let's, let's well, end we'll on see. a Twitter, Twitter question, which is one Twitter question, because uh, no one seems to uh, want to talk about this team anymore but us. Uh, nor should they. Yeah, nor should they. Uh, but one question is from uh, Web, WebJ, uh, Webby Wilden something, uh, here on the uh, Twitter machine. He asks, obvious question, who would you like to see come in and interview for the job? David Blatt. David Blatt. Uh, you want him to interview? I, 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 feel like, I feel like you're being facetious on me, uh, Rashad. You know, earlier today I joked around, but when <laughs> I thought about it, 
Oh, you're in now. I, no, you're in now, dude. No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm totally joking. No, no, okay, okay. Um, I, you know, I really want Sam Cassell. Yeah, he's you know, on, because he's on my list, actually. I want Sam Cassell because I want a coach who who knows the players and who is well liked enough that he's going to get some really bright assistance. And I think that Sam Cassell fits that bill just like Luke Walton would fit that bill. I worry about Tom Thibodeau. Um, I think that he'll definitely bring that defensive intensity to the team and a defensive scheme. But, you know, Tom Thibodeau is like in that Scott Skiles, Doug Collins Grinds mode people to death, right? Right. The first two years, they get the max effort out of everybody. And then the third year, they're still pushing for that max effort and they're not necessarily getting max results. I worry about that, but... Yeah, we're playing, I, I, I want, playing Bradley Beal 42 minutes a game. <laughs> you know you know the blog post, the comments on that. <laughs> right, where, you know, the trainer's telling Thibodeau that Bill's on the minutes limit, and he's like, I don't give a fuck. We're going 30, 35 minutes, 40 minutes. You know, I don't want that. Poor Lou, poor Lou Aldang. I feel like he played him so long that he's like a shell of himself now. But I, I just think I want a younger coach who who knows how to push and motivate the team but who also is well liked enough that he's able to attract strong, good, you know, good strong assistance that can help him in areas where he has deficiencies. And so, that's that's what I want. Someone who Wall and Bill respect. I think that's definitely Sam Cassell. You know, maybe Sam Cassell needs to brush up on his X's and O's. But if he has a strong assistant, like let's just say he gets Lionel Hollins, you know, somebody who's been a former coach, or he gets Lawrence Mike, Frank, somebody, Mike somebody like it. No, don't want that guy. <laughs> But, you know, somebody who's been a coach and whose experience is not necessarily gunning after his job, but is there to help him out. Reese Cheeks. Think, yes. Yes. Especially with the guard. I just yeah. I think that that's the way to go. I mean, that's not a foolproof plan, but at least it's, it's just it's going a different direction. So if that's... How about, that's, how about, the, how about the college route? That's, that's, that feels like a step backwards. Because yeah. if you go get a college coach not named Larry Brown, then you have to worry about the things that David Brown have to worry about. Do they do they understand the speed of the game? You know, do they understand, you know, this, it's, too, it's too risky because if they don't and they bomb in a year, you're in the same predicament that you were after you fired Whitman. How about so, Kevin, Kevin Ollie's the name that comes to mind? He's also uh, friends with Kevin Durant, but I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds tempting, but I don't... I don't. I, I don't think Kevin Ollie is, is ready. I, I, to be I think it. the. I think the other one. I think comes into what your criticism would be like a Jay Wright, right? Like a guy that, hey, just won a national title. Maybe it's time to cash in and go to the pros, but maybe flame. But it's a the risk is high because he could just flame out. You know, does his style? Is his style going to translate to the NBA? We've seen mixed success over the years that it really does. Right. Right. And then the other one, that, the other one I had for the NBA one was uh, Jay, Jay Laranega, who's the assistant coach of the Boston. Uh, his dad also is a former uh, George Mason coach, now coaches at uh, at Miami. Basically, like eighty years old. Uh, the dad is Jay is actually younger, but he was on that list of uh, top assistants. That's why I included him. Oh, okay. Well, you're, you're in now. I don't. I don't... I don't, I don't know much about him, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. He's a top assistant at, at Boston. So, you know, maybe you yeah. can give some Brad Stevens, uh, Brad Stevens love over. 
Uh, the other ones I saw on that list that, uh, that the ESPN had the other day, they seemed like a lot of young guys that I was like, wow, maybe, I don't know if all these guys are seasoned yet. I, I noticed that too. I mean, I, I think the success of Luke Walton and just, just the Golden State assistance in general, I think this is a trendy league. You're going to see teams go younger, uh, go, you know, get someone of that ilk. So, well, is, it, is it Ron Adams? Isn't he the former assistant for the Bulls that's on the Warriors staff? I think, he, I think he's a little older, but... I'm, I'm not sure. Do you want to blank on that one? All right, Rashad. Well, I uh, I am going to be I'm going to try to go to the game tomorrow as a fan and potentially interview interview fans, or maybe I'll just buy eleven dollar beers and just take in the twenty five hundred fans that will actually be at the game. You should. I would definitely be there. I I have nothing. I have nothing else to add. Uh, Rashad, is there any party parting uh, party things you have? We, we've covered a lot of topics here, uh, from Tony Kornheiser to Jordan Spieth. Uh, we did mention Bear Cross Saul. Uh, did you watch the OJ show by chance? Uh, no, not consistently. No. Yeah, you should watch it. It was really good. Uh, I, I'm kind of bummed now. I guess I guess Bear Cross Saul has one more episode left, but I recommend them both for the people. You should go watch them both. It was really good. The acting is phenomenal. So uh, other than that, I really have uh, nothing else, Rashad. It has been. Uh, this will probably be our last podcast before. This will t- no. This will be our last podcast before something, some news will happen, and it won't be just you breaking it by a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean from a from a fan standpoint, and we are fans. Let's not kid ourselves. It's very disappointing. But as I told my dad earlier this evening, just from strictly from a writing, from a journalistic perspective, this is going to be one hell of a summer. From the final buzzer. Tomorrow up until summer league, it's just you're going to watch a whole new team, a whole new way of looking at things is going to form, and it's just going to be very interesting to see between tomorrow when the game is over and when summer league ends how this team looks different. You know, who's going to coach summer league? What's what's going to happen in free agency? Who are we going to pick up? You know, who are we going to resign? Is Garrett Tipple going to be back again? Are we going to get rid of him? Is Nene going to be back? There's just a lot of different moving parts, and it's an exciting summer. If you're a Wizards fan who is fed up, just to know that this team is going to be rebuilt in some way, shape, or form, it's exciting. Once you get over the disappointment of not being in the playoffs and you watch the inevitable coronation of Golden State, you have a team that's going to be built. And so that, that part is exciting. But it, right now it still sucks that a team with Wall and Beal and Gortide and other players is not in the playoffs. So I'm I, I looking st- forward to the spring slash summer. I still think the Spurs could beat them, by the way. <laughs> now, Spurs aren't winning. As my main man, Michael Wilbon, said on the aforementioned Tony Kornheiser show, I don't think people – man, I saw this when I watched the second half. I don't think people realize the wear and tear that Duncan, who didn't even play, and Tony Parker and Ginobili have gone through – and when people factor in the Spurs, they factor in those three coming through or being able to contribute. And I, I just, I don't know that even at their best right now, the best that they have to offer in their mid-30s, that they can beat a machine like Golden State. You know, I, I don't well, I mean, get, I, would still, I would still think that Golden State's favorite to win, but, you know, Duncan and Diaw didn't play, and they're big parts, part of their teams. And Kawhi didn't have that good of a game. 
Uh, it will be interesting to see how they, they kind of match up uh, who, because I don't know if Parker can really play. So that will be interesting, how they actually, yeah. what they do with him. Because defensively, I don't know who he can guard when it comes down to crunch time. Yeah, and I wish that uh, Durant and Westbrook didn't suck so bad in the fourth quarter because then, you know, they would actually, you know, give Golden State or San Antonio a run for their money. But I think it's going to be Golden State. I don't, I don't see anybody getting in their way. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we won't. I don't have any plans of podcasting about that. But, but once uh, Randy Whitman, uh, his career is 10 years over, I will be back on this podcast machine with somebody, maybe Rashad, maybe not. But we will discuss uh, the inevitability of a, a new coach here for the Washington Wizards and breaking news by uh, Rashad Mobley. Uh, and any other big moves that come, come, come up with this team. I think we both say it will not be a, a – uh, I know there was a report out there that there was a chance of Ernie Grunfeld being replaced as well with maybe uh, Danny Ferry. I don't see that happening. Do you, Rashad? Uh, actually, yes. I mean, come on. He has, his father has ties with this team. And I think enough time has gone by for that, you know, the semi-racist debacle where he, he could totally be rebuilt here in D.C. He, it's not like he got fired because he was a bad GM. I mean, he, was, he put together the Atlanta Hawks team as we know it. So that's – I wouldn't be mad at that move. I mean, he had no, to – No, I'm not saying mad at it. I don't see them replacing Aaron Gruffold this year. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So I you're mean, leaving out hope for the people. Okay. All we learned is that he has a, a contract year next year. We didn't, didn't hear him say or Ted or anybody say he will unequivocally be back. So I think that – all things are in play here. All righty. Well, thank you so much, Rashad, uh, for your time. Uh, this has been another great conversation of a long, dreadful season. I'm glad that I was able to uh, talk you through. Uh, or I'm glad that you were able to listen to me uh, with your sage wisdom uh, as we slog through this long ass season uh i don't i don't want to listen to my last podcast uh in the past because i'm sure i was probably all wrong with everything i said especially my optimistic takes because now it is all pessimism but you have wrapped this up that this will be an optimistic offseason for the wizards uh because this team was not going anywhere in the playoffs we've made that we've made that uh clear and so maybe this is what this team actually needed, this little setback to, to really reach the next step of making a legitimate title contender uh, of you know John Wall and, and Bradley Beal and some of this young talent that we do have on this team. And maybe some, a couple other pieces come into play, and we'll be right back in the postseason next year, dude. One, one can hope. One can, one can hope. All right, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, and also, as always, go mother effing wizards.
find the young child's fragile eggshell mind. Blood in the streets in the town of New Haven. Blood stains the roofs and the palm trees of Venice. Blood in my love in the terrible summer. Bloody red sun of fantastic LA. 